See, I was so excited that I was going to get through a whole intro without being interrupted. And why uh, is that? Uh, well, because I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law, and that's Chris Williams from Above the Law, and we are hosting this episode of Thinking Like a Lawyer because Catherine Rubino is not available, uh, which led me to believe that I would be able to give an introduction in peace. However, uh, apparently, she has an accomplice who Catherine was, is always here in spirit. Yeah, I guess. Um, so, yeah, so we're... Editors at Above the Law, and we do this show to give you an update on some of the biggest stories in the legal world of the past week. Uh, think of us as your uh, half-hour digest of everything that's been in the website of Note. So yeah, but we begin, as we always do, with some small talk, which we mark by a little bit of a fanfare. So yeah, so some small talk about life. What's going on, Chris? I think we should change it up a bit. And you should go first, Joe. How's life been in last week? What have you been doing? It's been a little hectic. Uh, I've been driving back and forth from here to the city. Like I've had a bunch of meetings, bunches of situations where I it's easier for me to get hotels to stay over uh, because I have early morning meetings. But I, you know, back and forth constantly. I have to go back down again tomorrow. Uh, yeah, so it's been very hectic for me. Uh, a lot of meetings leading up to... Uh, you know, some of the big tech shows that are coming. So I've been in a position to, you know, meet with some people who are in New York leading up to those. Uh, I have a meeting with some recruiting directors, you know, just lots of stuff like that. The life of an A-list celebrity. I mean, I think we're we're very firmly D-list, but we are very big on that D-list. Uh, to a very, very narrow group of people, we're very important. Uh, you heard it, it here from Joe Patrice, yeah. above the law, on the big D-list. Yeah, we're, we're to, to a group of people, we're very important. But yeah, no, it's been, it's been very hectic. Uh, how about you? The opposite. I've been hmm? chilling, doing a lot of sleep, catching up on sleep. Introducing uh, my partner, the name is Akila, to this show called JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And we mm -hmm. just hit the uh, third part. We're um, in Egypt at Dio's mansion for everybody who's also a Joe bro. And shit's getting real. Shit's getting mm -hmm. real. Um, it makes no sense to somebody that's not watching the show. But for everyone that is watching, Iggy just finished fighting a pet shop. And it was very gory and great. Mm. I highly recommend it. Um, legal analysis is great, but if you want to get into something that should be a whole bunch of uh, IP law, you should really get into JoJo's. All the mm. characters have like band names and stuff. It's cool. Okay. So with that, I think we can put a capper on our uh, small talk. I'll use the, uh, the alternative oh sound effect for that one. So yeah, so there have been a lot of things going on in law, uh, a lot of uh, overlapping things. Let's first talk about... Because I think it's uh, it, it wasn't the biggest story necessarily traffic-wise for us, but it is one of the most important stories for our core audience, uh, those of you who have been around a long time, uh, both in practice or uh, have gone through in law school, considering law school, let's talk bar exam. Uh, the bar exam, uh, the July admission uh, administration, which is always the the big one of the year, uh, happened last week. Yeah, look, uh, compared to the virtual bar exam we had at the height of lockdown, it was not that disastrous. That administration was terrible, of course, and notably so, as the software glitched all over the place, flagged a third of 
test takers as cheating because they jostled in their seat at one point. Bad stuff. We are back to taking it in person. To uh, be fair, I just want to clarify. Mm-hmm. Joe saying it not being that bad is like saying, well, uh, the Travis Scott concert wasn't Fire Festival. Right, like they were right, both right, right. bad. <laughs> They're yes. just so misunderstood. This is not selling on behalf of the bar exam. Abolish I, it and what happened. Absolutely. You. And I I I very I think I said comparatively at some point, and I, I, yeah. I'm leaning into that word. Uh it was still bad. And we had obviously we talked on this show before about the $53 sandwiches that New York was selling uh to stranded test takers. We had the instance where somebody was told they weren't allowed to take the exam because their fingerprints weren't clear enough. Uh, They don't have enough ridges, so they aren't allowed to take the exam. Uh, Ultimately, that story achieved enough notoriety that the bar examiners reversed themselves at the last minute, which was nice. Uh, But yeah, we had instances of proctors not showing up, uh, forcing delays. We had internet outages, bad stuff. But the absolute worst thing that we had happen is after years of everyone criticizing bar exams for being out of touch and having nothing really to do with determining if somebody's actually able to practice law in, you know, the modern era, the bar exam decided to double down and say, well, if you think that we aren't teaching the modern era, Here's a bunch of rule against perpetuities questions, uh, asking two rule against perpetuities questions, which m- most jurisdictions have abandoned uh, or abandoned in favor of a more streamlined version. But, you know, bar exams going to bar exam. Because I think and this is one of the things that I, that I gathered from going to law school is that law school is not about real world application. It is mm. about tradition. You know, you could have nth amount of uh, data that supports that the Socratic method that law teachers use actually just instills anxiety more than a will to learn. Teachers are still going to cold call because they love the adrenaline rush of, you know, making some person fret over not missing over missing a sentence on page 394. You know, Um, also uh, Godspeed to the dude who's initially couldn't take the test because of his finger ridges mm-hmm. gets allowed to take the test and is then hit <laughs> with the- then, <laughs> then immediately hit with this sort of garbage yeah so the so the rule against perpetuities questions are annoying a lot of the, there's the criticism of law school and for those of us who have advocated that maybe we should have a system that leans more towards diploma privilege basically a system that would instead of forcing folks to take one a one-shot generalist exam and therefore get a license to practice forever, we would instead say, you know, something more akin to you went to an accredited law school, which means you have to have, over the course of those years, ticked off the following accomplishments. And if you've done that, then you get to be licensed and then having a more robust continuing education system that does more periodic checkups, probably specialized checkups in a profession that's more specialized, et cetera. Are you advocating for the notion that spending $150,000 is enough? That the things that come with spending $150,000 should prepare you to do the thing? What? That it doesn't require an extra three months of preparation? (laughs) Yeah. And the knock on and the knock on that that people make is that law school doesn't actually teach real world application, that it teaches more high theory sorts of garbage, uh, which is certainly true in the in the, you know, in the moment. But 
if you're what you're going to do is ask rule against perpetuities questions in a world where most jurisdictions have abandoned that, then, you know, how much better is the bar exam? Uh, and I just think that you're much better off with a law school that's teaching people how to Oh, this sh we should have a sound effect for when we name check the show. A law school that's able to make you think like a lawyer. Da ding. Um, yeah. And then you, you get your practical education either through somebody who's hired you or you have, I don't know, there could be something akin to the bar exam that is a series of specialized courses and a specialized professional skills exam or something like that. But the idea that the law schools are not prepared because they're too theoretical completely falls apart when you start asking these kinds of questions, which nobody was expecting, which was a real brutal kick in the head for all the folks taking the test. Uh, hopefully, you all, uh, if any of you are listening who did go through it, that you managed to you know, remember your 21 years, if it must vest at all, within the life of a person, you know, that that whole stuff. Yeah. So it would have ruined. So, so for example, it clearly would have ruined Joe's chances and like the stuff that, what did, what did you do? You know, what's weird is I actually was pretty good at it at the time. It is a logic puzzle basically. And once you, once you kind of master that logic puzzle, you can, you can untangle it pretty easily. No, but what I'm just, saying like yeah. when you were mm -hmm. as, as a, what was, what was your practice area? I did mostly white color defense. All right. So imagine just for practical, practical yeah. scenario, Imagine that you have a person, mission statement, I want to do white collar defense, does very good in their white collar defense classes, does not pass the bar because they didn't realize that the house vests to Timmy yeah. instead of Sarah. Like that has yeah. nothing to do <laughs> right. with the reason they went to law school or their practice area. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Well, and, and this is the whole, this is the reason why there needs to be some and look, the, the bar exam people are trying to make this, the bar examiners are very aggressively trying to make this some sort of holy war where everybody's out to get them and they are, you know, going as, as far as in past years making veiled threats that they would ding people who criticize them through character and fitness investigations, uh, which is horrific. Uh, but there are multiple paths to, multiple alternative paths to managing a licensing system and we just stick with this generalist exam and it's dumb because as you point out the practice of law is no longer generalist uh it, there may be some generalists out there and we can devise a system for them but the vast majority of people choose where they go if they're doing a bunch of real estate closings they don't need crim pro uh if you are doing a series of like personal injury, you don't need to know much about mergers and acquisitions. Uh, there are so many very specific practice areas that the law has gotten very specialized. And the idea that we force everybody to cram in their head for three months to take a one shot closed book memory exam of everything makes no sense. Uh, whether it's a diploma privilege program, or a program that tests more on ethics, and then has maybe certificates for different practice areas that you get licensed in uh, that makes the whole job of being a licensed lawyer be more specialized. Whatever it is, there's some. there are alternatives. And every day that we stick with this kind of fundamental belief that the bar exam has to be what we live with because that's what people lived with in the past, we ignore the the actual time needed to explore 
alternatives and see what, what gets the best result. But anyway, Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. So let's talk now about everybody's favorite justice. So Clarence Thomas. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. No, Cla- Clarence Thomas, he, he uh, made some decisions last term. Uh, his wife made some coups last term. <laughs> and between the two of those things, folks got a little irritated at George Washington University School of Law that the school continues to give a kickback to this guy to teach, and I use air quotes as heavily as one can use air quotes, to teach a seminar. Uh, this is a thing that happens uh, where some of these justices get gigs at law schools where the law school gets to slap the name of a justice teaching a one hour a week or something like that seminar in the off term, uh, give them the most they possibly can, which I think is 15 grand under the current set of rules, give them uh, 15 grands of extra money. Some co-teacher probably does all the actual work and the school gets to claim that they're more important than they are because a Supreme Court justice works there. Anyway, George Washington folks were a little peeved that the school continues to use their tuition money for this, both because they didn't see why it should be going to somebody who actively, you know, puts some of their lives at risk, but also what really is the academic mission being accomplished here when your version of constitutional law is backward engineering some result based on whatever your contemporary political practices are. Is anyone actually learning anything? No, uh, clout. That, the mission is clout. Well, yeah, I mean, well, and then that and then if you could point to he's hired all of his clerks from George Washington, then maybe you've got something going. But if that's not happening, then then you really aren't getting anything out of it anyway. I think we had covered earlier with the bar exam application that lawyers typically don't care about like practical outcomes. It's the theory. <laughs> the theory is yeah. what's important. Well, so so the school uh, got a lot of uh, there was a big petition uh, about this. The school said, well, we're not going to fire him because, you know, we we believe in academic freedom. And look, we, we've heard this academic freedom discussion a lot. It's being bandied about uh, about 
Alito's work with Duke. Uh, this is, you know, you and I both covered Amy Wax, uh, not mercifully a Supreme Court justice, but a professor at Penn who uses her job at this point to just kind of say, go on random podcasts and say awful stuff. Thinking like point, a bigot. Yeah, yeah. And, and, well, and she now has a defense fund up at GoFundMe uh, to try and raise money so that she can, I don't know. Slur Asians and blacks. Well, no. They, well, I mean, she can do that for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the, uh, the the fund is so that she can hire lawyers to intimidate the school, I think, uh, which is considering some measure of sanction at this point. But mm. the real question is, at what does academic freedom mean? And does it mean, you know, you the school has an obligation to shrug off everything? And, you know, there there has to be I've said there has to be some sort of limits because at at a certain point, academic needs to be a modifier to freedom uh, in the words academic freedom. And it isn't you just get to do whatever you get to do. You get to explore other ideas in the interest of pursuing an advancement of scholarship. You know, you you get you have to be free to take a non-orthodox stance in order to test your hypothesis and see if it's right. We're not doing that here. What you're saying sounds something like there should be some equivalent of teachers not being able to say there's a fire in a classroom without being fired. Well, no, there's no you, way. No, obviously not. And obviously, you can say fire in a crowded theater and all that sort of stuff. But like, when 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 the just that may have been too tongue in cheek. I meant that. <laughs> I think that like the the things the things that perfect the things that people say need to have I don't know like some some basis other than being the same thing a drunk aunt would say at a dinner table. Like, I think that the the fact that Amy Wax has been able to do this for, what, like a decade now, some change, mm-hmm. yeah, I think is I think is abhorrent. And there, there's, there's some point at which, oh, academic freedom is just being used as an excuse to say whatever yeah. you want in a way that's not academic. And if it's not academic, it shouldn't fall under protection. Right. In the same way that, like, threats don't explicitly come. Well, and, and that's the thing. Like, freedom, you, you can yell fire in a crowded theater despite what, you know, I, despite a decision that once existed that has since been overturned. But like, that's a broad-based freedom. Here we're talking about schools which have private interests, in particular in a place like George Washington or Penn. These are private schools, and they're hanging on an idea of academic freedom, which is a concept that is a subset of freedom generally, about offering some sort of freedom toward the advancement of education and scholarship. And there's nothing here to suggest that there's heterodox views being taken for the purpose of advancing the learning mission. It's giving a guy an extra extra bit of money to do story time as a because I'm an important Supreme Court justice, or in Wax's case, not even letting her do anything anymore, and she's not publishing. The stuff that she's getting in trouble for is not stuff she's publishing or like going through any kind of a peer review process or anything. She's just go. She's just spouting stuff on TV and at nationalism conferences. Like academic freedom needs to, like you said, like academic freedom needs to be gauged by something. And so, uh, but don't worry, we're gonna get a bunch of Jonathan Turley complaining about this or something like that. So, this is not. This is certainly not over. But, oh, speaking of private schools, let's transition to a little subtopic here. So speaking of private schools, private schools do have the ability to have rules because they're private schools. And that's something you talked about this week. Right. There was a, uh, a law school that will um, remain unnamed 
and they had a email that went out that basically said to disparage another person or group because of their status of race, color, religion, national origin, gender, sexual orientation, age, socioeconomic class or disability is antithetical to our tradition. You know, all the, the good PC stuff. But the effect is that it was like it had a lot of there are good people on both sides and the sides are Nazis and people, you know, fighting for civil rights energy. You know, like it was like a, we will not allow for any um, racism. So advocating for Klan rallies is bad, as is uh, saying, I don't know, probably something like reparations ought to be considered. Right. Like these are these, of course, they're both, they're both, they both have racial implications, but the way that they're weighted is not the same and to equivocate them is a problem. You know, uh, there was another thing that was like, um, because we stand for life, there will be no allowance of saying things like abortion is acceptable, you know, and especially in classes where like say con law, you know, it's funny saying, if you play devil's advocate, you will face consequences. And my thing is there's a, there's so much conversation about uh, the right uh, being silenced and about like, universities being liberal spaces, but I see heavy, a lot of the heaviest censorship that I see tends to be from right-leaning sources, right? You know, mm-hmm. for people that keep, keep, keep on being silenced, they can't, they don't seem to ever shut the fuck up. Shouts out to Amy yeah. Wax, you know? Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a thing where this, uh, it was a, it was a Reddit thread, a student was like, I did not expect this to happen. And some of the responses were, duh, you went to a Catholic school, what did you expect? But I also, but I think that they have a certain point. It was like, you shouldn't. You just. You should still expect there to be room for differences of opinion. Back to that, you know, academic freedom thing. You know, intellectual mm-hmm. freedom that's supposed to be happening in classrooms. And I just thought that was interesting for people to read through and work through. It was a. It was a nice Reddit thread. It had a bunch of different opinion. Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting question, right? Like you know, private schools, in particular, private religious schools, have you know all the rights to do within certain i shouldn't say all the rights but several lots of latitude to yeah. control how they operate on the other hand bringing us back to the pre bar exam the, the earlier bar exam conversation if we're looking at models of licensure that rely on law schools accomplishing certain minimum standards of curriculum then there has to be a moment where you say maybe you can't be a law school that gets that privilege if you aren't covering. I mean, I guess teaching abortion at this point, I mean, it, it's not part of con law anymore, <laughs> you know, as of this but this year. But yeah. One example is based off the email. Like, it would be fine and dandy to stand up in a con law to say, I think that gay marriage is an abomination and sodomites ought to be punished. But it is not OK to stand up and say Orbitchfell was decided correctly. You know, so like it actively prevents discussions about things that are currently law. You know, like I would imagine a teacher being under fire if they taught Obergefell in a way that, or maybe even loving, depending on certain readings of Ham in the Bible that weren't, you know, immediately like, can you believe what these heathens let pass? You know? Yeah. Now I'm trying to figure out. So is this the, so there are multiple Catholic universities and I, I didn't really read your, uh, your thing closely enough. Which which school was this one? Well, excuse me, I have to go cry now. I thought I was special. Like I said, I didn't name it because the OP original poster on the Reddit thread didn't name it themselves. So like I would have had to rely on people making uh, assumptions. Okay, okay, okay. It may have been Notre Dame, but I don't know. 
No, I, I, I would doubt it's that. My guess, yeah, I, I have a guess which one it is. That actually, I think, I think, that. actually, I think Notre Dame may have been a school that was mentioned as a Catholic school that wouldn't do this. So again, yeah. this isn't official. Look, Notre Dame had Notre Dame had the issue that they just uh, let Sam Alito give a speech in Rome in which he. Uh, went full on crazy. That's another story that we aren't even necessarily getting into here. But uh, if you are at all interested in what uh, what the future is about to look like, uh, Sam Alito went, uh, went real bonkers uh, in this Rome speech explaining that all rights are only to be viewed through the lens of religious liberty and are all contingent upon it. So your freedom of speech really, there may be externalities, but it really only rests on the ability to speak as in give prayers and proselytize and everything else is subordinate to that. Uh, it was it was some fun, fun times. Uh, but I would not think that the administration of Notre Dame would be behind that. I would, however, think that uh, Free Pizza University would be, which is another Catholic oriented school that is yeah run by pizza people. All right, so let's close off today by talking uh, just this is one of those victory lap moments for those of us who write in this space. So we get to kind of, you know, take our bows. Yeah, that's right, kids. Everybody who went nuts when Nicholas Sandman, better known as the Covington Catholic kid, the kid wearing the Trump hat uh, while, you know, smirking as a Native American activist was getting epithets hurled at him. Uh, That video went viral. There were a lot of news stories about it. A lot of people then after those news stories came out, opined upon it as, you know, this is kind of a troubling trend of, you know, racial insensitivity that seems to be very tied to Trump fandom. He has, he sued a million and one media outlets for millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. Some of them settled for undisclosed amounts, but rumored to be in the low millions. When that happened, a lot of folks uh, started saying, well, you know, this it, this is just sign of how much he's going to win, and all these people who haven't set, settled are really going to pay, yada, yada. Those of us who understand law said, that's not going to happen. He's going to win. He's going to lose all of these cases. The media is going to win every one of these cases. They have won all those cases now. Uh, the people who settled Yes, they did settle for some amounts of money, but as we kind of opined at the time, it seemed as though those amounts of money were in line with paying off a nuisance suit. Uh, It would have cost CNN a few million dollars to drag this case all the way to a trial. And then at the trial, there's a risk that you lose, even if the law is on your side, at which point you have to deal with appeals and work on all that. And if you chug all that into a calculator, you can come out and say, you know what, even if we don't think we've done anything wrong, it is worth, it is, it is a savings for us to give him a few million dollars rather than spend it on the case. Uh, and that's what was going on with those settlements, we said. Uh, other people said, no, 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 this is clearly a sign that he's going to win. He didn't. Uh, and he didn't because none of these cases ever made much sense. The claims that were, that were allegedly defamatory were mostly not factual claims. They were opinion statements about the facts. The factual claims were he was there wearing a Trump hat, was a Trump fan, was the person in this video, was able to hear these people yelling epithets, all that sort of stuff. Those 
never really got challenged in the case. Uh, there was one tiny issue about whether or not he was blocking the ability of the activist to escape. That is a factual claim that did get uh, explored in this case and resolved in the activists' favor, well, in the media's favor there too. But most of the claims that were allegedly defamatory were all opinion claims saying that given these facts, we think this looks racist or this looks like he's a jerk. Uh, those may be hurtful things to say, but they are not defamatory things to say because they're opinions, uh, which was obvious to all of us when the complaint first dropped. And now, finally, as this has come to an end, we, you know, we get to take our little victory lap. That guy had a very punchable face. Yeah. See, now that's an opinion. See, <laughs> there, there's nothing defamatory about that. Now, contrast this, of course, with the, the next up and coming def defamation suit that we've heard about, which is that the Wall Street Journal reported, uh, because they're having just kind of a, a rough go of it these days. Uh, the Wall Street Journal reported the other day that Elon Musk had an affair with the soon-to-be ex-wife of the one of the Google founders. Uh, and she, a, through her lawyer, has said that this is not true, and we are taking the stance that this is defamation, and the Wall Street Journal should proceed accordingly. Now, that's a factual claim. That's not an opinion about what it would mean if you slept with Elon Musk. You are saying you cheated on your husband with Elon Musk. That is a factual claim. That is something that, if it is untrue, could be defamatory uh, if it you know, looks ill on your reputation, which having an extramarital affair would. It, and that's really what's, what's allegedly defamatory, not sleeping with Elon Musk per se, though, frankly, that also, I think, probably hurts your reputation. But I will say, if she has a kid whose name looks like it could be a bit of HTML, <laughs> that could be evidence for it being true. No. So, so the, uh, so Nicole Shanahan, who's uh, the woman in, in this story, of course, this brings it all full, full circle, of course, because she used to run a legal tech company. So once again, Legal tech, the important place where we're all in the headlines, where all the important stuff is happening. So, and it, we, I think that with that, we're done probably, right? I'm cool with me. I think yeah, all right. Well, so yeah, so thanks everybody for listening. You should be subscribed to the show so you hear new episodes as soon as they come out. You should give it reviews, stars, write something. It uh, shows engagement. That means algorithms like us, and that's always good. Uh, you should be reading Above the Law so you can hear, you'll see these as well as some other stories before you get to the weekly roundup like this. Uh, you should be following us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. Chris is at Rights for Rent. You should be listening to the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable that I'm on, uh, especially since we just talked about how legal tech is so important to the real life headlines right now. Uh, you should be, yeah, uh, listen to the other shows on the Legal Talk Network, of course. And I think with all of that, think we might be done also so. follow Catherine one numero one yeah she's yeah great. i mean she's not here i feel like <laughs> feel like the bare minimum is that you've got to be here right <laughs> anyway we will talk to folks later bye have a good one
If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.